familiar territory, certainly, as we look into this chapter. It's in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. We have those three Gospels record this. And then John, in his Gospel, who wrote to the church, he wrote much, much later, uh, and he writes to the church, his teaching on the last days is John 14. I think it's important as we look into Matthew 24 to realize this is written to the Jews. This is written to Israel. This is not written, as it were, to the church in regards to the fact that we'll be living in these things and under these things. It certainly is written to the church in the sense that there are lessons here for us. You know, there are things here that we're to see and take to heart, certainly. But as as we look at the events that are outlined through here, you know, he he tells us in verse 15, when you, you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, you're halfway through the tribulation at that point. Verse 16, then let those that are in Judea, that's not us, flee to the mountains. Uh, Verse 20, pray that your flight is not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. That would never restrict us in any way. So important to see that this is written with a Jewish intention. Israel's back in the land. The Lord saw all of this. For you and I, our teaching on the last days is in John. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If that were not so, I'd have told you. Never let you have a false hope. But lo, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. No Jew ever heard anything like that or understood anything like that. They understood the Messiah returning, judging the wicked and the righteous, and setting up his kingdom. They knew nothing of a Messiah that was coming to receive people to himself, to take them to the Father's house. That's the church. The Jew is waiting for the Messiah to come, judge the righteous and wicked, and set up the kingdom for a thousand years. So John, written to the church, gives us his teaching there about the return of Christ for his bride, Um, This passage, look, this is the second longest discourse the Lord gives. The Sermon on the Mount was longer. But when he comes here to the second coming, his return, it is the second longest discourse that he gives. You know, Billy Graham is the one who said, you know, the importance of prophecy and these things. He said, look, the Lord... The Bible, the New Testament, speaks about the new birth seven times. That's certainly something important that we believe. It speaks of repentance and faith, specifically 20 times, which is important to Billy Graham as an evangelist, obviously. There's about 70 times in the New Testament when you read about baptisms, baptism of water, baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism into the body of Christ, and so forth. But the return of the Lord is spoken about over 300 times. Over 300 times. It's spoken of in 23 of the 27 New Testament books. It's spoken about by all nine authors. It's spoken about in 216 New Testament chapters. 
and 318 references to the second coming. In fact, 25% of the entire scripture is prophetic. No other book in the world like that. One out of four verses about the future. And the Bible sets a standard that if anybody prophesies, anybody says anything, and it doesn't come 100% true, at least in the Old Testament, take them out and stone them. Because if I send them, it happens. If I tell them what's coming, it comes. So, you know, Edgar Case, Nostradamus, uh, Gene Dixon, all these people would be under a pile of stones. uh, Because this has to be 100% accurate. And And the Lord then sets this chapter in front of us and speaks to us about these things. Now look, the guys, no doubt, are staggered. They're shaken by what he said in the end of chapter 23. They're in the temple precincts. It's his last address there to the religious leaders of the day. And when he leaves here in verse 1, it says, Jesus went out and departed. That's the last time he departs, as it were, until he comes in glory. Last time he departs from that temple, which will be destroyed. But he had said in verse 38 of the previous chapter, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall see me no, for, no, more, till you say, no more henceforth until you say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. For them to hear, your house is left unto you desolate, they were staggered. They, they were shocked. They were in awe. They couldn't believe. What, their mouths dropped open when they heard him say this. So then it says, then Jesus went out and he departed from the temple and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. They said, Lord, what are you talking about? Look. It's going to be left desolate because they knew that meant leveled, ruined, destroyed, gone. And they said, look at this, Lord, look at the buildings. You know, the, the, the Jewish rabbi said it was one of the wonders of the world. It was the beauty of it with, you know, white marble brought in from other parts of the world and the limestone and the gold, literally the gold around the top of the temple. Uh, Josephus said when the sun rose and was shining off the temple, you couldn't look at it. It was like a mountain of white with gold on top, and the reflection was so strong, you couldn't even look at it the way it was blazing and reflecting light. So, of course, to the Jew, they thought, well, this is the signature of God's blessing on us. This temple, this prosperity, this thing standing in the middle of the Roman Empire, defying all of that, is certainly a signature of God's blessing. So as they go out of the temple, their minds shaken, they say to Jesus, look at these things, Lord, do you see these stones? And of course, the question really was to them, did they see this? They showed him, like they needed to, the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them... (laughs) See ye not all these things? Do you see them? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, they didn't see it, obviously. Jesus, we're told in Luke 19, on Palm Sunday, as he makes his entry into the city, it says, when he was come, he beheld the city and he wept over it. He convulsed out loud. 
saying, If thou hadst only known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes, for the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall be ca- shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round about, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children with thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. You know, they're saying to Jesus, do you see this? And, and as he's looking at it, you know, he's seeing a nation that rejected him as Messiah. He's seeing the Roman armies. He told a parable about a, a father inviting people to the wedding, no, no, a, 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 a vineyard keeper, and, and he kills the servants that are, that are sent to him to collect the money he's rented out. Finally, the son comes, let us kill him. So he says to the Pharisees, what do you think they're going to do to the, these wicked servants? They said, well, they're going to kill them and give the vineyard to other people. And then Jesus said, yeah, the, the, what's going to happen is God's going to send his armies and he's going to do the, he calls them the armies of the Lord, the Roman armies. So here, you know, they show him the temple, Lord, and, and they, they're the ones that didn't see it. He had seen it on Palm Sunday. He had wept over it. He knew what was ahead of them. 70 A.D. was going to be terrible. And he knew that and he saw that. And I I think, do they see it? Look, do we see it? Do we see it? How long will the White House stand? How long will the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument stand? How long will the Capitol Building stand? You know, Paul says the things that are seen are temporal. Anything you see is temporary. The things that are not seen, those are the things that are eternal, he says. And Jesus certainly was looking at the things not seen by the disciples. They were looking at the things that were seen, and Jesus knew that temple, the whole scene, was temporary. He saw the end of it. Now, look, this is an important introduction because Jesus, right off the bat, makes a prophecy about the temple being torn down, not one stone being left upon another. And that would be fulfilled um, within 30 to 40 years. It would be fulfilled. Um, The temple had been in construction since... Uh, 2021 to 20 BC. It would be under construction till 60 AD, 84 years. And by this time, it was under construction for about 50 years. The major buildings were done, but there was still all kinds of things being finished up in the temple. And the stones that were there, you know, if you've been to Israel with us, some of them you know, are hundreds of tons. They're starting to understand maybe how they were cut. They would be cut out of strata of rock consistent with the strata, but they still don't know how they were moved. There's one in the base of the temple, I've been there many times, like 750 tons, 12 foot high, you know, it's square. The bottom of it is cut to fit the bedrock. 
When they brought it in, they set it on the bedrock, and the bottom had been cut, shaped like the bedrock. They have no idea how they were doing that. And when you go there, there's no mortar or anything. Each stone was just a fraction inward, so the walls actually kind of leaned a tiny bit inward, and then they filled it up with debris. They filled it up and put a floor in there then, and they made a mound out of it. And they're saying, Lord, look at this. You can't even move one of the stones. What do you mean? You know, every stone's going to be thrown down. They finished the temple in 64 A.D. And in 66 A.D., the Jewish revolt started. The Jews revolted against Roman authority. So Nero, who was the emperor, the Caesar then, sends Vespasian, his general, in 66 A.D., uh, to begin to liberate the country and bring it back under Roman control again. And he fights till about 68, two years in the, the country around Jerusalem, and at that point he's going to then, he has his sights set on Jerusalem, Vespasian. Meantime, back in Rome, Nero commits suicide. And Vespasian is called back to Rome, and in one year there were like four Caesars. They were all assassinated and killed. Vespasian ends up to be Caesar, so he sends his son Titus Vespasian with the 5th, 10th, 12th, and 15th Roman legions to go and take Jerusalem. And that begins... um, in 70 AD, April 14th, and it goes till August 29th in 70 AD, five months, 143 days, the siege takes place. And they set themselves up around Jerusalem. And of course, sadly, um, Josephus tells us there's 97,000 people taken prisoners when, when that siege is over, and he was one of them. And he changes his name to Flavius Josephus to honor his Roman master. And uh, they kept him because of what a historian he was. And Josephus tells us there was 1.1 million people dead in Jerusalem. Because when the Romans came, it was Passover. It was a mandatory feast. And there were over 600,000 extra people there. And, they, of course, they barricaded themselves in. They had the walls of Jerusalem. They set the siege around the city. Uh, the Romans had all kinds of battering rams. And they would build fires against the wall because it was limestone. And as it, it, w- it would dry, it would crack easier. The city turned to cannibalism. Uh, at one point, they're throwing dead bodies over the wall. And it said that Titus was walking outside saying, God, if you're there, don't lay this to my account. This isn't what I wanted. He wanted them to surrender. They said when he finally came in, the blood ran so deep that it ran up people's thresholds into their home and put out the fires in their homes at some places, if you can imagine. And as they did that, Caesar had said, don't destroy the temple. Because it, uh, it was remarkable. It was built by Herod. And as, as they're finally getting into that area, they're still fighting. One of the Roman soldiers, so angry, throws a torch inside the temple window, and the fire starts. 
And it was burning first in the compartments around the temple, where there was grain and different things, smoke. And, and Titus sends his commander, one of his generals, to try to get them to stop and put the fires out. But the soldiers are all so angry from the siege. And what they did, they can't stop them. They go in and the whole temple then catches on fire and it burns. And one of the things that happened then is the gold crown all around the temple melted down and went between the stones. So by the time the process is over, the Roman soldiers are prying one stone off of another to scrape the gold out from between the stones. And these huge stones are cast down into the Teropian Valley on the western side where the Wailing Wall is there. And they've excavated some of that. Um, You can get there. I've been there many times. Sometimes if nobody's around, you can grab a stone there, which is one of the stones that were there in Jesus' day (laughs) that he said would be thrown down. And then you can put it on your desk, and every time you look at it, it'll tell you that everything Jesus said is reality. I was up on that wall, and I was cast down, just like he said I would be. And I think the Lord, as he looks at this, you know, we have all kinds of, you know, curiosity about prophecy. We look at it, you know. I think the Lord is completely heartbroken. When he came into Jerusalem, he wept over Jerusalem. And he's looking at his disciples are saying, Lord, look at this magnificent. He said, look, do you see it? You don't. I see it. Let me tell you what it's going to be like in 40 years. It's going to be a pile of rubble. There's not going to be one stone left upon another. Now, when they hear that, because they're asking him, you said your house is left under you desolate. They're saying, look, Lord, what do you mean? It's just, it's not even finished yet. Look at the way it's going up. He says, not one stone left upon another that's not going to be cast down. And when they hear that, of course, then they think, well, that's got to be the end of the world. That, that can't happen. And, you know, God's blessed us. Jehovah's blessed us. If this is all going to get thrown down, it must be the end of the world for that to happen. And Jesus said, you know, he said, no, the armies are going to surround you. Now, I want to say something real quick before we move on about the armies that surrounded Jerusalem with Titus Vespasian in charge, his father Vespasian, Caesar at that point in time. There were four legions that were brought in. And I'm saying this because there are people in the church today that are teaching that some of these legions were Assyrians, and because of that, they're trying to teach today that the Antichrist is going to be a Muslim um, because there were Assyrian troops here taking down the city. First of all, I've been to Israel 28, 29 times. The Jewish people are not going to worship an Islamic Messiah. But I'm just telling you. Write it down. It ain't going to happen. The Muslims believe in the Mahdi, or or the the 12th Imam, depending whether they're Sunni or Shiite. And amazing, they believe when this person comes, he's going to make the Jews live according to the Old Testament, the Christians live according to the New Testament, and the Muslims live according to the Quran, and that will be a seven-year deal after some terrible war sets the stage. 
Then they believe that the Antichrist is going to come and try to take over the world. And then they believe that Jesus will return and destroy the Antichrist and then, of course, serve Muhammad. I mean, they, they got bits and pieces, you know, so they don't see the Antichrist being a Muslim either. So you have these people in the church. They, I think they need to write books. They need to make money or something. They, they do this stuff. He, here's what, this is just free information. I'll just give it to you. Um, the 12 Roman legions that surrounded Jerusalem, first the 12th Roman legion was on the northeast side on Mount Scopus. It was called the Fulminata Legion, and it means lightning or thunder, the Thunder Legion. That legion was recruited by Julius Caesar 60 years before Christ, 58 BC, and it was considered an imperial Roman legion. They had Assyrian conscripts, auxiliaries, that they brought in to bring gear, to cook, to do different things. And when there was a desperate situation, they might send some of them in to get mowed down first before they brought up their armaments. But this was an imperial Roman legion, the only one where you can find conscripts from Syria. Then there was the 15th Roman legion, Apollinaris, dedicated to Apollo. That was on the western side of Jerusalem. That was also an imperial Roman legion. The 5th Legion was also on the western side with the 15th Legion, Macedonica, from Macedonia. That was recruited, they were recruited by Augustus Caesar, 43 BC. That They also, Imperial Roman Legion. The 10th Roman Legion then was on the Mount of Olives. Um, they're called, uh, let's see... Fratensis. They had occupied Sicily. I guess they were all Sicily owned. I don't know. But they were founded by Octavian 41 to 40 BC before Christ. Position on the Mount of Olives. They were they were an imperial Roman legion. Understand, when this is over, they carry everything back to Rome. You have the Arch of Titus in Rome. It's not in Syria. It's not in Damascus. It's not some, you know, these were imperial Roman legions, and they were as proud as any army that was ever on the earth. And when they took their spoils of this war, they took them back to Rome, and that's where they're etched on the Arch of Titus there in Rome. Don't listen to people who try to turn everything around. I'm convinced, in my own opinion, that... The Antichrist will be a European Jew. And uh, Daniel says that he won't have any regard for the God of his fathers or for the desire of women. It doesn't say the desire for women. He has no regard for the God of his fathers or the desire of women, which was to give birth to the Messiah. The desire of women was the Messiah. John, 1 John, his epistle says, who is the Antichrist but he that denies the Father and the Son? That's what Daniel said. No regard for the God of his Father or for the desire of women. So a, a European Jew, uh, supernatural, who knows? You know, certainly he's going to receive his unction from the wicked one, from the enemy. So... 
He says here, there's not going to be one stone left upon another that won't be thrown down. And then look in verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Now we know from Mark 13, 3, it happens to be Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Those four are the ones who started this conversation. They came to him privately saying, tell us. When shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world, of the age, literally? So the question really is twofold. First, it's when shall these things be, and then what shall be the sign of thy coming and the and there, the chi, because you don't need between two nouns, it should be even, you know. What shall be the sign of thy coming, even the end of the age? Because they believed when he came, that would be the end of the age. So it's a twofold question, really. And look, that's the question that's been asked through the centuries. When is he coming? What are the signs? When's the end of the age? When is it coming? Jerry and I, years ago, had opportunity when the Billy Graham crusade was here in Philadelphia to go out to lunch with one of the coordinators, and we talked to him. And he had been all over the world for years with Billy Graham, and he said, every country we've gone to, the president or the prime minister, um, the, the king, whoever they were, has taken Billy Graham aside privately and asked about Armageddon, asked about the end of the age asked about what he thought is ahead of him. Because when you're, you know, when you get real security briefings, I know we hear movie stars talking about the government all the time, like they get security briefings. They don't, they're actors. But people who really get security briefings are, are, are pretty sober about the world we're living in. Because it's so tenuous. It could change so quickly. It could fall apart in a day. And of course, the people they work for in government then are briefed. The president gets a briefing every day and so forth. So he said everywhere Billy Graham has gone these years, every world leader that's gotten alone with him has asked him about Armageddon and the end of the age. It wasn't just these guys. This has been the question through the centuries because there's an innate sense. You know, when is this going to happen? Things, history just can't roll on without ever ending. Every generation of humankind has used the weapons it's developed. You know, I, I think back towards Eden, the gene pool was way purer. Human beings were way more intelligent. Uh, technology wasn't developed, but they did more with less. We don't even understand how they did it. Now here we are at the end of the age, and all of our DNA is all messed up, and we have more dangerous weapons than any generation ever. That's a bad combination. That's where we're at now. They ask the question, Lord, and it's an imperative here. You, it's, it's imperative eritus. Once and for all, Lord, you've got to tell us, is the sense of it. When shall these things be? When is this going to happen? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? even the end of the age. Now, it's interesting if you look here, it says, number one, the first part of their question is, when 
will this be? Now, when he answers their question, he answers the second half first and the first half last. First thing he does is tell them about the signs. He tells them about what's going to be coming and what they're going to see. Their first part is when shall these things be? He really doesn't get to that till verse 32. He says, learn the parable of the fig tree. When you see the branches yet tender putting forth its leaves, then you know summer is nigh. That's when he gives them the when. The second part is what shall be the sign of thy coming? Um, in verse 30, it says, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. So that he answers the second part of the question as he moves in, what, you know, when shall, these, when shall this be and what shall be the sign of the coming and of the end of the age? And I think, you know, that is something that has to be more real to us, really, than it's ever been in the, in the days that we're living in, looking around, isn't it? I mean, we're watching the news, we're watching the world we're in, we're watching, you know, the potential of insanity constantly. Uh, this virus, where's it going? What's it, is it going to be a third wave? You hear some people saying that. You hear John Hopkins saying, no, we're going to reach herd immunity by April because of the vaccination and the number of people that have had it. And then we all sit around here thinking, somebody tell me what the heck is going on. You know, and I don't trust them. They politicize it. The globalists are using it. The big pharmacy companies are making their money on it. Somebody just tell us what's going on, right? I'm an adult. Just tell me what's going on. But we wonder, because it's everything is in the shadows. Everything is, has an agenda behind it. And we know behind all of that there are principalities and powers. Isn't it interesting they want to open nightclubs? They're, they're opening the, the, the marijuana places so you can get marijuana, but the, keeping the church closed? It's amazing that, you know, you can watch football every Sunday and the whole offensive squad gets in a huddle. They're all yelling at each other. They're masks on. But you can't sing next to somebody. I mean, just... I, look, we need to do those things because we're serving Jesus Christ and he's our king. We have no desire to be defiant. We have no desire to to fly in the face of civil authorities because Paul said we should pray for them. They have a horrendous job to try to do. But there is another kingdom and there's another king. I kind of love to sing to him and about him. You know. But we are in a place the church has never been before. Um... Certainly, we can see the beginning of these things. They say when and then what. So he gets to the what first. What shall be the sign of thy coming, the end of the world? And then he doesn't just give them signs. He gives them this practical exhortation. Look what he says here. Jesus answered and he said unto them, Take heed, present tense, you must constantly watch out for. You must constantly take heed. All of us, right? This is something we got to do continually. Because we tend to, to get desensitized by a constant bombardment of what's going on. He says, you must constantly take heed that no man deceive you. I mean, verse 4, he says that. Verse 25, look, 
He says, Behold, I have told you beforehand, because he wants them to know. Um, in verse 42, he says there, he says, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. Um, then in verse 44, he says, Therefore ye all be also ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man comes. You know, each one of these things, there's an exhortation. You must constantly take heed. This is what it looks like. Try to live, you know, ready. Am I ready to meet the Lord, you know? And uh, is there anything in my life I'd like to get straightened out before he shows up? <laughs> That's a silly question. Of course there is. There are things in my life that are not Christ-like. The people that live with me could give you a list. I'll give you theirs if they do that. But, <laughs> right? And Jesus said, look, this is not about satisfying your curiosity. This is not, this is about so you can look around and take an inventory and take heed to yourself and be ready and watch. That's what he wants from us as we're living in this day and age. Because look, he's going to come like a thief in the night. You know, you, you think of Noah preaching for 120 years, not one convert. Never listened, had never reigned. They, they had no reason at all to believe what he was saying, except that it was the Lord of the Lord. You think of those in Sodom and Gomorrah. It had never happened. Fire's going to fall out of heaven. What are you talking about? And it happens. You know, you, you think of these things through history. You think of the Jews in Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar came. They couldn't believe it. They didn't know this is not going to happen. And we're, we're there, we're at the threshold again of another age and another change, a paradigm shift in human history. We are standing on the doorstep of eternity. And the Lord said, all right, here's, here's what I want you to do. Now, he's seeing Revelation 6 to 19, the tribulation period, and he's warning the Jews, but we need to take heed as we look at these things. He says, first of all, take heed that no man deceive you. Here's the reason. For many shall come in my name, in the name of Jesus, saying, that, saying I am the Christ. That's what the Antichrist is going to do. I am the Christ. Anti means instead of. He's the instead of Christ. I am the Christ, the Messiah, and shall deceive Many, particularly, look, we, we, the world is set up for it now. This pandemic, this COVID-19, is the first time we fought a world war since World War II. This is the first time all nations are involved and they're all fighting an enemy since World War II. This is the first time when we can tell everybody, do this, do that. This is the first time when the whole world is kind of being shuttered. Somebody come up with the, the right vaccine, somebody, and we'll all kind of bow down. And we, you know, he can be the, the head honcho. We'll all do what he says. We're being prepped. We're being prepped. And the deceiver's going to come. And Jesus, when Satan tempted him and said, look, bow down and worship me. I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world and all of the glory of them because they're given unto me and to whomsoever I will give them. Jesus didn't say, ah, oh, that's baloney, cut me a break. 
Jesus said, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. He didn't try to take that fact away from the enemy. But there is one, and he may be walking around now. In fact, I think he is somewhere. I don't think Satan has given him that power yet, but he will. I think the Antichrist is alive somewhere, or the person that will be. I think Satan would have put Caesar in if he could have. I think Satan would have put Hitler in if he could have. He may have put Napoleon in. He's always had somebody through the centuries that, that has been a candidate. But you watch what's going on in the world now, and everybody getting on the same page with things, and you realize, there's, you know, they just put a pastor in Canada in jail for having church. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You know, our forefathers came here for religious freedom. That's why they left Europe. Now they're telling us we can't sing, we can't meet. I mean, we, if we're going to be obedient to Jesus, this is part of the way that he wants us to live and not neglect the gathering together of ourselves and, and so forth. And you think, Lord, this is hard. How do we be respectful? How do we, you know, we don't want to be rebels. We don't want to... You know, stick our finger in the eye of civil authority. We're thankful there's a police force. We're thankful there's civil government. We're thankful for all these things. But how do we live in two kingdoms at the same time? And Jesus says, look, just make sure you're not deceived. You constantly have to take heed and watch that. Because many are going to come in my name saying that they're the Christ. They have the answers, right? There's enough of that around us. He says this then, and you shall hear of wars, if you can imagine that, and rumors of wars, if you can imagine that. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. They said, what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age? Jesus said, all of these things must come to pass, but the end of the age is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. So he tells us here there's going to be war. There's going to be... Rumors of wars. Uh, look, we all know that we're the first generation with media so that we can hear all the rumors. We can watch. I don't know about you guys. Sometimes I watch the news now less than I ever had. I was a news junkie. My wife's a weather junkie. I was a news junkie. And the news I want now is the news I'm getting from here. Right? Because it's almost discouraging. Every day you get up in the same problem. It's not in your dream. It's not in your nightmare. The nightmares wait when you wake up in the morning. We face this. Where are we going? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to the kids? What's going to happen to the grandkids? You know, what are they going to have to learn? What's going to be enforced on them in the school system? Where is this whole thing going? And there's tension. There's violence. Jesus said, look, these are things that have to take place. Now, look, what we're seeing now is all the, the, the beginnings of these things. There's always been wars, right? There's always been famine. 
There's always been earthquakes. There's always been pestilence, deadly infectious diseases. These things have always been there. But when we see them in the scripture, you know, we see them finally coordinate. They all start to happen at the same time. They all start to increase in frequency and intensity. And then they're all let loose. We're told in Second Thessalonians, it says, he says, And now you know what withholdeth, what's restraining, that he may be revealed in his time, speaking of the Antichrist. For the mystery of iniquity, it doth already work. Only he who now letteth, same word, restrains, will restrain until he be taken out of the way, and then that wicked one will be revealed. So we're, we're told right now there's a restraining force in the world. These things are going to break loose unrestrained. We saw them when we studied Revelation. The white horse, deception, the Antichrist comes on the scene. Then wars, rumors of wars. The red horse comes next. Unrestrained. Then famine. The black horse goes forward and rides. Unrestrained. We're seeing restrained versions of all of this now. And then death and Hades. Gathering the spoils of human carnage. Then earthquake. We see these things in the book of Revelation. And the lamb himself is opening the seals and we are into the great the tribulation period. Here, though, you and I look around. We've seen wars. Look, World War II. Last time that the entire world was at war. World War II, 82 million people dead. 82 million dead. 29 million wounded. 32 million died in battle. 25 million died in concentration camps. 20 million civilians died as civilian areas were bombed and so forth. That's restrained. 82 million. And now, one American sub, 22 tubes, 15, you know, each with 15 independently targeted warheads, 10 megaton. One submarine can do more damage 40 times the detonating power of every weapon used in World War II by every side anywhere in the world. One sub. I don't know how many we've got. We've got a bunch of them. You know, Royce hearing about these other countries. Really, the only navies in the world are Great Britain, France, the United States. Russia has one aircraft carrier. So they're not going to, what they're going to do is shoot some hypersonic thing through the air or do something else, you know after the Lord begins to allow those things to happen. Right now the church is here. I think when the church is raptured, one of the immediate things that happens, there'll be pandemonium here in so many ways. I think I think other countries will begin to move then. I think it'll be something that causes them to move. And look, you know, there are things in space that have never been there before. You know? There was a low orbital strike system there for years, which is outdated. It was functional in 86, where they would just fire down a nuke from outer space, depleted uranium tip. You don't aim at anything in Philadelphia. You just set the depth. You want it to detonate at 800 feet. You want it to de- detonate at 1,000 feet. Cuts through rock and steel like butter. When it detonates, it lifts the whole city up. It breaks all the water pipes, all the gas pipes, all the electrical. Everything sinks down into a big sinkhole, and hardly any radiation gets out. Isn't it wonderful? 
Because we're spending all our money to develop these things. I was asking one of the folks in church, and I said, "Why, you know, Tora Bora, it's funny, they, they, they use those things, you know. He said, oh, that's old stuff. I said, what do you mean? He said, yeah, it's, it's old. He said, we haven't done anything with that for 30 years. I said, wow, really? You know, the law system doesn't function anymore. He said, yeah, there's, a, there's just another, there's a kinetic system now and fires down these tungsten and depleted uranium rods and out of a plasma launcher, the speed is unimaginable and there's no, there's no powder, there's nothing to detonate, but when they hit the ground, they do the same amount of damage and it rolls out like a nuclear bomb just went off, but it's kinetic. I said, that's, that's the law system now? He said, oh, no. It's not called the lost system anymore. I said, really? What's it called? He said, the rods of God. Google it. You know, and if it's on Google, I'm not, I'm not betraying anything here. It's on Google. You know, Google the rods of God. And that's old now. Under the ocean. North of Grumman. The things are, you know, we, we're looking at subs. We're looking at... Uh, Aircraft carriers, we're looking at battle groups. Now, of course, you got all these new um, stealth boats going out with gamma lasers loaded on them and rail guns and, st- and so forth. But what they're not talking about, you think there's, there's drones in the air. We're sitting here in the United States flying drones in the Middle East and other parts of the world and taking out bad guys. Well, if you think there's drones in the air, Keep your eyes open if you're swimming under the water with goggles on, because there's more under there. You know, and a, and a 10-foot drone can take out an aircraft carrier. I mean, it's it's amazing what's going on. If you want to see something really interesting, do you? I got you going here. You want to see something really interesting? Google. You know, you can do it on uh, what's the thing? The satellite where you know it looks at Google Earth, whatever it is. There's a uh, You'll see, you go Google tractor tracks on the bottom of the ocean. And you'll see it looks like a tank with a tread on it was, was going particularly the Pacific. And then when you look at it, or if you Google it, those tracks, those treads are two miles apart. Two miles apart. I asked somebody from church, they said, don't ask me about that. Don't ask me about that. So all I'll tell you is Kim Jong-un doesn't need to worry about three carrier groups. He needs to worry about that. (laughs) Isn't this fun? (laughs) You know, you think, you know, almost half of the spending of the world is on military research and weaponry. Half of the scientists in the world, in one degree or another, work with research and development relative to the military. You know, when Jesus comes and says we're going to beat our swords in the plowshares and our spears in the pruning hook, a nation will not learn war against nation anymore. And the knowledge of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Imagine what that's going to be like. The kingdom age. Imagine going out and you don't have to keep an extra key or remember your key. Because nobody's going to break into your house. You just leave your car key in the ignition. You tell your kids, go out and play and come back whenever you want to. Tuesday, Thursday, whatever. <laughs> Don't tell me where you are. Just go. And if you see a, a, an adder or a lion, have fun, you know. 
just imagine. Now there's this tension. Now there's this image bearer hating image bearer. Working hard on ways to destroy one another. Jesus said, it's going to get, it's going to get let loose. We will be out of here. We'll be on the mezzanine when this happens. It's going to get let loose. Wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Just hard to imagine, you know. And then, of course, he says, then there's going to be famines. Famine always follows war. And, of course, we're making all of the seeds now so they can't reproduce. Um, without heirloom seeds, you can't regrow the next crop. So famine follows war. And look, here's something that's just unavoidable. There are certain people, I won't mention their names, who they want to control the population. But from the beginning of recorded history to 1850, it took that long for there to be the first one billion people on the planet. From 1850 to 1930, you have two billion from 1930 to 1961, you have 3 billion. From 1961 to 1975, you have 4 billion. From 1976 to 1989, you have 5 billion. From 1990 to 2003, you have 6 billion. And today, there's 7.8, I just checked, checked today in case you're wondering. There's 7.8 billion people on the planet. We're doubling so fast now, we just can't feed. How is that going to happen? Where's that going to go? So now you have people think they have the right to whittle us down so they can all eat more or something. I don't know, you know. You just think just the population itself is, is causing demands. And, and so many of the famines in the world today are staged, and the money that goes for relief ends up being spent on weapons. I mean... You know, this is human beings involved of all of this stuff. So that will be the black horse. This will finally go forth. Famine's going to go without restraint. War's going to go without restraint. And it says pestilence. Now, that's not bugs. I remember reading when we were in an old building that the insect population outweighed the human race 11 to 1. My wife don't like bugs. I don't think I do either. I like them in some places, but not in others. But, you know, we've, there's probably a billion more people now, or two billion or so, so they may only outweigh us now nine to one, the insect population. But those are bugs. They are everywhere. And, of course, now we got killer hornets. You know, we get all these weird things now, drop out of trees and sting you and you fall down. And uh, But there's the weirder bugs coming Sunday morning in our study. You've got the, the abuso open and these weird horn, these weird, these weird locusts are coming. That's going to be worse. But deadly, you know, this pestilence here is deadly infectious diseases. It isn't insects. It's COVID. We're in the middle of some of this. There's rumblings of this going on around us. We're thankful this is not Ebola. If Ebola was spreading like this COVID is spreading, it would be unimaginable. Unimaginable. Smallpox was uh, once t- took more death than anything, and and there's there's some of that reviving because we're not Im- immunizing anymore for smallpox. Anthrax is something we don't want to talk about. But the idea is all of these things. This is pestilence. Deadly infectious diseases will be part of the signs of the close of the age. What we see happening now is just a warm-up. 
We haven't seen nothing yet. This is restrained. This is the restrained version. And as the Lord is talking about these days, his heart is broken. He wept over this city. He weeps over mankind. And he would say to his own, the same same way you would say to your kids, hey, watch, keep your eyes open. I'm coming. I mean, I understand why this is the broadest subject in the New Testament, in the Bible. You know, again, I remember being in Northern California on uh, September 11th and uh, at a pastor's conference and looking on the screen and seeing the towers begin to fall, seeing the Pentagon was hit, and there were no flights coming back from the West Coast. And my wife was calling me. I said, all right, there's, here's where the credit card is. Here's where this is. You know, in case you need to know, you know, this we went back and forth. The four can't four kids. You know, the school closed, and so my son was in the Bible College in Southern California, and they wouldn't fly us out of San Jose. The United said we're not flying, so we said to Avis, "Can we just return the car in Southern California?" They said, "Sure." You know, so we drove down. We had 12 kids, I think, from church in the Bible College, and they didn't have a TV screen there, so we had. We were their news. We took them out to eat. They didn't know if it was the Last Supper. You know, I mean, the world was rumbling and falling apart. And they said, the United said, yeah, you can fly out of Ontario, an airport there in Southern California, uh, on Thursday. Things should be flying. This was because it happened on Tuesday. Well, Thursday we called um, United, and they said, no, we're not going to be flying at least till after the weekend. We're just, everything's grounded. So we called Avis and said, can we return this in Philadelphia instead of Southern California? And they said, sure, what the heck, go on. And we left uh, San Diego uh, Thursday evening, and in 36 hours, we're here in Philadelphia. Don't do that. (laughs) You know, but you're thinking, am I going to see my kids again? Thinking, are you going to see the church again, the people that you love? Is this going to precipitate into Ezekiel 38 and 39? What's going to happen now? And if I could have said something to my kids like, and my bride, I'm coming. No matter what it looks like, understand, I'm coming. No matter how bad it gets, I'm coming. I'm coming for you. And I look at that and think, I have no doubt why this is the broadest subject in the New Testament. He's talking to his children. He's talking to his bride. And he says, I'm coming. You're going to see these things. Be ready. Watch. Be sober. Be vigilant. You don't know the hour. But I'm coming. And 2,000 2000 years of the church have heard this. And people can look, the church can be ambivalent now and say, well, it's never happened. It's going to happen. If he knew what was going to happen in 40 years, Jerusalem was going to be torn down. He knows exactly what's going to happen now, too. What's harder to predict, something in 40 years or something in 2,000 years? With with great accuracy. They're the same. You're, You're transcending time somehow. So he's telling in a Jewish context, these are the kind of things that are going to happen and they're going to be let loose in without measure as, as the, the tribulation period 
begins. For you and I, we see the beginnings. We see the rumblings. In Luke 21, he says, when these things begin to take place, lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. That's a word that's used nine out of the ten times about the redemption of our body. It's the redemption of the believers. When you see these things begin to take place, lift up your head, redemption draweth nigh. Several verses later, he says, when you see them come to completion, you know the kingdom of God. The millennium is ready to start. But when they begin to take place, lift up your heads. Your redemption draweth nigh. Look. Earthquakes. Let's do earthquakes real fast. Earthquakes. Always been earthquakes. What we're seeing now is the restrained version, right? Um, you can go online. The 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 geolo- U.S. Geological Survey uh, Department has an earthquake report, and I, I printed this out, and and it's the rise of major killer earthquakes. 1890 to 1899, 1970 the earthquake was 9.1. There were tsunamis, and Sumatra moved 100 feet in that 230,000 people that they know of died. Kashmir, 2005, 86,000. China, 2008, 69,197. Haiti, and we had teams from church going down there to Haiti, 316,000 people died. If you can imagine... Japan, with the tsunami, if you were just recently in 2011, 18,400. The point is, it's increasing in frequency and intensity. Any one of these things individually, you look at it and say, well, there's always been wars. There's always been famines. There's always, But when they're all coming to the fore at the same time, they're all increasing in frequency and intensity. They're all getting in line. What they're waiting for is the rapture of the church. And for Jesus, in his redemptive form as the Lamb of God, to open the first seal. And then deception will go forth unhindered. Open the second seal. Then war is going to go forward in this world unhindered. Open the third seal. Then famine is going to go forward unhindered. unhindered. Opens the fourth seal. The fourth horseman goes forward. It, it's, it's death and Hades following, gathering the souls of the dead. And one-fourth of the world's population, it says. And then when the, the sixth seal goes, there's an earthquake. The whole world, probably Isaiah, wobbles to and fro like a drunken man. May change us back to a 360-day year. But things are going to happen. I didn't choose to be here now in this chapter, Okay. You just, you just figure, you know, the women are here on Tuesday night. 
we're here in Revelation on Sunday morning. Here we go into Matthew 24 on, you know, Wednesday night. And then you go home and say, Lord, are you trying to talk to me? <laughs> Duh. You know, I told you on Sundays. I told you on Tuesdays. I told you on Wednesdays. What were you thinking? You know, he wants us to be sober and vigilant. He wants to be wise. I know he wants us to be sharing his love with a lost, broken, empty world now that is headed to something unimaginable. And, and we have the blessed hope that he's going to come for us before all that gets let loose. That can happen tonight can happen in the middle of our, our next, the last worship song, so we should probably get them up here right away, you know. If you don't know Christ, look, we'll be up here afterwards. We'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible. Forget about church, forget about denominations, forget about religion. You need to know Jesus. It is all about this one individual who died on the cross for us and rose again the third day. It's not about Calvary Christian Academy or Christian schools or Christian colleges or Christian churches or Christian buildings. It is about one single person, Jesus Christ, who loves you and died for you. And it is only through him you can get a perspective of all of these things. Only through him you can have a hope in these days beyond this world. Only through him you can know your sins are forgiven. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And death no longer holds a sword over your head. If you don't know him, I encourage you to get up here at the end of the service. We'd love to give you a Bible, pray with you, introduce you to our Savior and our Lord. But let's stand, let's pray, let's get the musicians up here so the rapture can happen. <laughs> Father, I know you've overheard, Lord. Um, and, and we look at these things, it's very familiar territory in one sense, Lord, but... There's a greater than ever we sense a a visceral, a pathos, something behind this of great heart and great feeling, Lord. And think of you weeping over Jerusalem, looking at the things that are coming. And if you wept over Jerusalem, then we wonder, Lord, now the heartache you must have looking at the Jewish people, looking at the world, looking at what's going to happen, Lord. And we watch you in Revelation trying and trying to turn the hearts of men and women to yourself. Lord, we love you this evening. Lord, we fumble around in this world. We're so thankful that you open our eyes, that your word becomes real to us, that your Holy Spirit ministers to us. And Lord, that we have a hope beyond this present world. Lord, we do not want to be selfish about that. Give us the grace to share the gospel with more people than we ever have, Lord. Let it happen, Lord Jesus. Not because of us, but in spite of us, Lord. Through your power, through your unction, Lord. Let your love be shed abroad from our hearts, Lord, by your power and your grace, Lord. We pray in your name. Receive this offering of praise, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.